one of the one of the lies that we often believe about God is is how I guess we see him and view him. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. Um, we're, we're getting back this morning into our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we've titled The Upside-Down Kingdom. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he talks about how his ways and his kingdom are so upside-down compared to the world's ways. And so we've been looking at this invitation of a lifetime from Jesus. Have you ever received like a great invitation? I'm sure some of you have. Um, maybe you can think about sometime, something you were invited to do that you just didn't think you were going to be able to do or have the opportunity to do. Um, Lori and Haley, uh, they just got invited. So if you don't know Lori and Haley, Lori... She oversees our Rooted Children's Ministry, and Haley is our church operations leader here at the church. So they just received an invitation of a lifetime themselves. Um, it was to fly on a private jet to Hilton Head for vacation. So they're going to go stay in this multi-million dollar home, and uh, the person who owns the home had a guy that was riding a private flight to Hilton Head the same time that they were going to be going. Haley's pregnant, so it worked out, you know, really well. All they had to do was basically show up to the plane 10 minutes before the plane left and hop on it and go right into the airport there. Um, it's a private airport, I believe, and then they were going to be taxied to their home. Talk about an invitation, right? But and it's just such a God kiss, right, that this guy who they are connected with is a Christian. He is wealthy, and he's extremely generous with his, with his money. That's a pretty neat invitation. But the invitation that Jesus is offering to each of us is so much greater than a, a trip in a private jet, right? It truly is the inv invitation of, of a lifetime. And this is the invitation. You can be with me and with the Father in my kingdom. You can have a relationship with me. You can have me in my spirit empowering you to live the abundant life that I have come to give. And as you do, you will find that your desire for joy, satisfaction, for significance and security met. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. It's the most important decision we will make. Will we have Jesus as our king? Will we have God the Father as our father? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is an invitation of a lifetime. It is the greatest invitation you will ever receive. Have you accepted that invitation? Have you accepted that invitation? Do you know this good shepherd? Do you know this light? I hope you do. You place your trust in Jesus. Jesus, as um, we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount, he's been describing how a person will be transformed deep inside their hearts, which will then lead to transformed behavior. He's talked about uh, how, and, and I, th- I think the way that you could sum it all up is that you will have a person that naturally lives a life of love. Love for God, love for others, love for oneself. That's where all of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount falls under those three categories. That you'll have a person that naturally loves in these three ways. Remember, Jesus highlighted how a person that has been transformed by his spirit will hanger, uh, handle ang- uh, being angry. They will be slow to become angry. And when they do experience anger, they'll have the right amount of anger for the right reason at the right time. It will be a person that naturally pursues reconciliation. If they feel as if they have hurt someone, they'll be really quick to go and make it right. It'll be the sort of person that is transformed by his kingdom power that will not lust after things that God has not given them. It'll be a person who is quick to work out differences in the marriage relationship. It'll be a person who even naturally loves their enemies. This is what God's kingdom power does. This is the sort of person that God's kingdom power creates. It'll be a person that is not seeking man's approval. If they get man's approval, great. If they don't get it, that's okay too. They're not driven by that. This morning, we're going to take a look at how the person living in the kingdom of God will be transformed in terms of how they relate to God in prayer. So let me pray, and then we'll hone in on that. Lord, we love you. And we need you. Our life truly does fall apart without you. Lord, I pray that as we look at prayer, you would help us to see what you want us to see in the Lord's Prayer this morning. May you bring comfort to our hearts. May we catch a glimpse just how great your love is for us. May it wash over us. May we not take it for granted. Lord, teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, right before Jesus is about to tell his disciples how to pray, he first tells them how not to pray. 
And he says, you, you can, here are two ways not to pray. You can pray like the religious leaders of my day. That's one way not to pray. Or you can pay li- pray like the pagans in my day, which is another way not to pray. First, how did the religious leaders pray that Jesus is speaking against? Well, they prayed to be seen by others. That's how they prayed. So Jesus is saying, don't be praying motivated by this desire to garner human approval. Don't use prayer as a way of getting other people to think highly of you. Don't be like the religious leaders who find the busiest street corner to pray on so that they will be noticed. Don't be like them. In fact, yeah, don't be like them. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know what? I'm not like them. I don't pray publicly at all. But, and let me ask you this question, is the reason that you only pray in secret, is it due to the fact that you're afraid of what, might peop- what, might, what people might think of you if you were to pray in public. And I would challenge you that that's no different than the religious leader who finds the busiest street corner to pray on. Because what you're driven by, you're, you, see, the person that's, that's praying on the busiest street corner is driven by human approval. The person that only prays in secret is also driven by human approval. The person in public is trying to garner human approval. The person p- praying in secret is trying not to lose the approval that they think they have. You know, another way that we can fall into this temptation to be praying with a view of how others see us and with concern for that, is when we do actually muster up enough uh, courage to pray in public. How often when we are praying in public, are we more concerned with what the people we're praying with are thinking than than what God, who we're praying to, is thinking? How often does that happen? We say, it's like we have this whole other conversation going on in our brain while we're praying with other people. Am I making sense? Am I saying anything that's heretical? Maybe I should use this long theological term, throw that in. Then people will be impressed. Maybe I should quote some scripture so people will think, wow, he really knows or she really knows the Bible well. Maybe I should, like, pray for another person and talk about how they just need prayer and help and then work in how I've been helping them as I pray and that God would just give me the strength to help them. Maybe I pray in, like, a real sweet, calm voice so that other people think that I have the sweet communion and intimacy with Jesus. You see where we often fall into this trap of praying to be seen by others. We are not immune to it. Jesus says, don't fall into this trap. If you do, you're not going to receive anything from God. 
Jesus says also, though, too, here's, here's another way not to pray. Don't pray like the religious leaders, but don't pray like the pagans either. How did the pagans pray? Uh, pray? They used these vain repetitions. They used many words repeatedly, repeatedly as they prayed. Over and over, they would recite these phrases that had little or no content. And what they believed, what the pagans of Jesus' day believed, they believed that if they could just string together the right amount of words and the correct words, then they would somehow appease the God that they were praying to and, and manipulate that God in order to bless them. Like they would back that God into a corner. And since they said the right things, that God would then Bless them. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't use prayer as an attempt to manipulate God, to control God, to try and back him in a corner. That's what the pagans do. Don't pray like them. And so I ask you this morning, when you pray, if you pray, do you pray thinking that if I just say the right things, then God will bless me. Then he will give me what I desire. Then I can coax him into providing my needs. This view is that God is reluctant to, to meet our needs, and so we gotta, we got to toe the line in the way that he likes it in order for him to bless us. Then he might help us out. So those are two ways not to pray. Now Jesus, he goes into it with his disciples of how to pray. How should we pray as followers of Christ? Well, Jesus' answer is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How does Jesus start his model prayer? Well, he starts it with these two words, our Father. The significance of these two words cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. This is so important. If you don't get this, you're not going to get prayer at all. If you don't get this, life isn't going to make sense either. And that's why I believe Jesus started here with these two words. Our Father, those two words are the foundation of all right praying. Check, check this out. Uh, A.W. Tozer, he says this, and, and this is a quote I've used before. I know this is something that some of you have heard before, but it's so important. He says, our view of God is so very critical that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. 
And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or it's base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Check out this line. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Jesus starts out his model prayer with our Father because that's what God, that's who God is. And you need to know that him starting out his prayer this way, Really, you could say it's the disciples' prayer, right? Because he's telling this disciples, this is how you are to pray. But him starting out this prayer with our Father was revolutionary. You need to know this. The religious leaders didn't talk about God being their Father, nor did the pagans. Nobody did. Bible scholar Kent Hughes, he notes that God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament's 39 books, and even then rather impersonally. In those 14 occurrences of Father, the term was always used with reference to the nation of Israel, not to individuals. God was viewed as the corporate father of Israel, not as the personal father to individual Israelites. He states that you can look from Genesis to Malachi and you will not find one individual speaking of God as father. He also notes that Jesus' contemporaries, the religious Jewish people of his day, they so focused on God's transcendence that God is out there and above everything and his, he's so big and he's sovereign. They so focused on that, those aspects of God that they could not connect with this idea that God was a personal God. In fact, they were so afraid of pronouncing God's name the wrong way Yahweh, that they created another name for God, Jehovah, which was a combination of two names of God. You see, against this backdrop, Jesus is starting out his prayer with our Father. It was revolutionary. And guess what? Jesus didn't just address God the Father as Father a few times. Every single time he addressed God, except for a time in Psalm 21 when he was hanging on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time he did not address God as Father. And just before he breathes his last, what does he say? He goes back to addressing God as Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the Gospels, and we're just talking about four books of the Bible, Jesus addressed God as Father more than 60 times. 
But there's more. Do you know that the word, the Aramaic word that Jesus used to address God as Father was an informal, like everyday language, everyday word that Jewish children use to address their Father? It best, like probably the best way to describe it in English is dearest daddy. That's, that's the word he used to address the Father. This was unheard of. Him using such an informal word that, that expressed such intimacy and connection. It just, this was unheard of. Nobody addressed God this way. And if you look at our passage, like if you look at the rest of the context of Matthew chapter 6, you can see that it is absolutely critical in Jesus' mind that we catch God and see God and view God as our Father. I must see God as Dad, and you must see God as Dad, or prayer is not going to make sense, and life is not going to make sense. You must see yourself as his child. I must see myself as his child. If we get this right, we're going to get prayer right, and we're going to get a lot of other things in life right. And, of course, the, the converse is true. Seeing God as Father is the only thing that can truly free us from the enslavement to people's opinions of us and also to this enslavement of trying to manipulate God and others to get what we need or what we want. You see, if we are securely attached to God in a father-child relationship, if we are getting our sense of worth and value from him, from being his child, having him as our father, of being a part of his royal family, guess what? The opinions of other people don't matter as much anymore. If the father's voice, if our dearest daddy's voice is the loudest voice in our head, then the voices that we hear, the other voices we hear, aren't going to matter so much. If we are secure in the fact that we can be our naked self with God, warts and all, and our daddy will love us and accept us, Guess what? We're going to be able to be our real, authentic selves with other people. We're not going to be keeping up appearances. We're not going to fear rejection of humans if we are so alive in this secure attachment to our heavenly dad. Experiencing God as our father and experiencing life as his child is the only thing that can also fix our distorted image of God that the pagans held in Jesus' day. That God is like this angry God who's looking to send people to hell every chance he can get. And that he just needs to be appeased by certain religious rituals. That's the way you can coax God into blessing you. God is not like this as a father. He's a good father. Jesus and the rest of the scriptures tell us so. Think of the best earthly father you can think of. 
Jesus, or God the Father is this and so much more. That's precisely the point that Jesus makes in our next chapter that we'll get to, Matthew 7. He says, look, if earthly fathers who still wrestle with evil are able to give their children good gifts, how much more is God the Father who is perfect in evil, uh, evil way, in every way, able to give you the best gifts? God is the best father you can imagine and more. He is not distant and uninvolved. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 8, that he has made it his business to, so, uh, to know us so well that even before we make requests to him, he knows what we need. So is there any need for vain repetitions? Of course not. God is not looking to drop the hammer on you when you mess up. In fact, he's looking to forgive you. That is his desire. And so Jesus says, ask for his forgiveness. God loves to provide for you. He is not reluctant to do that. He's not hesitant to do that. He delights in doing that. And so Jesus says, ask for your daily bread. Ask him for your daily bread. He will supply your need. Later on in Matthew 6, he says, in fact, don't worry about what you will eat or wear or drink at all. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows you need these things. God, your dad, knows you the best, and he delights to teach you his way. So pray that you would understand his will and that you would live it out. Pray that his kingdom would come. And that you would live in step with that kingdom. And because God is such a loving and generous father, pray that his name would be hallowed. What does that mean? It means that pray that God's name would be honored and revered by the people of the world. And that his name and his honor that you would have such honor for him and reverence for him in your heart that you would live in a glorifying, glorifying God sort of way. You see, the, the other components of the Lord's Prayer only make sense if you see God as your father. They, will, they only make sense if you view God as your dearest daddy. If you believe that God is a God that is looking to crush you any chance he can get. Why would you draw near to him in prayer? Why would you confess your sins to him? If you believe that God is this stingy God who is reluctant to give good gifts, why would you ask him for your daily bread? If God wasn't this one who's all-knowing and knows you better than you know yourself, why would you want his will and his kingdom to come? We must see God as our father who loves us, a good father, our dearest daddy. And we must see ourselves as his beloved child. In fact, this is how Jesus said we are able to experience life in the kingdom of God. If we become like a child. Did you see Joth come up to Galen when we were singing? Do you see that? If you didn't, you missed something super cool. Joth 
with a big old smile, giggling, comes straight up on the stage when Galen was singing and gave him a big old hug. That's how God wants us to approach him, like a child. Was Joph pretending to be something he wasn't? No. Was Joph, like, afraid and on edge and trying to do the right thing in order for Galen to bless him with a big old hug? Who doesn't want to hug Galen, by the way? <laughs> About to come up and... No. He fully anticipated to, re- to receive an embrace. And Galen, he'll be the first to met, is not perfect. He's not even Josh's dad. <laughs> and look, Galen embraced him, put a smile on Galen's faith, face. That's how we need to approach our Heavenly Father. We come to him just as we are, not pretending to be something we're not, expecting that he wants to give us good gifts. And so we boldly and confidently come to him to receive his embrace. We don't care, even if he's running the world, just like Galen was doing something here. We don't care if God's running the world. We always have access to him. Joth didn't care, right? I just want to say this. If you had a lousy earthly father, it may be hard for you to see God as the good father that loves you more than you even know. We have a tendency to put our earthly father's face on God. That's our tendency. If you could never please your earthly father, then you're, you could have a, ten, you have a tendency potentially to believe that God just is never pleased with you. If you had an early, uh, earthly father that, that pushed you so hard to achieve and t- to have success in whatever you did, then you may feel as if God's love for you is dependent upon whether you're winning or not. If your earthly father was extremely strict and seemed to suck the fun out of everything, you may view God in this way. If your earthly father punished you with a heavy hand and lacked compassion, then you, can, you, you, have, you may have a tendency to see God in that way. If your father wasn't a good provider and was rather stingy and was not generous, you may see God in this way. We have to get rid of these distorted images of God. They will lead us down the wrong path. And so I ask you this morning, is your view of God distorted? And the reason I ask you this is because just recently I have been talking with three different people who have been Christians for a long, long time who are struggling in this very way. Actually, one of my friends told me he's afraid to be alone with God in prayer. This is a person that has had a relationship with Christ for probably 15 years because he's afraid what God might ask of him. 
is this person seeing God as a good, loving father who only gives his children the best gifts? My brothers and sisters, you are safe and secure in the Father's love. God is completely devoted to your welfare. He wants to spend time with you. He's emotionally available to you. He loves you no matter what. He is always in your corner. He wants to listen to your dreams, your fears, your disappointments. He wants to share his heart with you as well. He knows your potential, and he desires for you to become all that he designed for you to be. He is protecting you. You may get hurt, but he will never allow your life to ultimately be ruined. He's actually a helicopter parent in the best sense. Constantly watching over you, making sure everything works out for your ultimate good. He wants to teach you about how life works. He wants to teach you where this abundant life that he came to give us through his son can be found. And how it can be found. And when he disciplines you, when you go off track... It's not to injure you. It's not to hurt you. His discipline is to get you back on the right track. He is patient. He is gentle. He is kind. He's quick to listen. And he is quick to forgive. And guess what? He views all that he has as yours. Which is pretty amazing, right? Considering he owns the world. We will inherit this world. It's an amazing thought. And you know what breaks his heart more than anything? When your heart is broken. Nothing breaks the heart of God than when one of his dearly beloved children, their hearts are broken. Ask any parent what makes them the saddest. Any good parent. When one of their child, children, one of their children is hurting. God is the same. You know what else? You know what makes, there's nothing that makes God, the Father, more happy than seeing you full of joy and full of peace. Is there anything that makes you as a parent happier than seeing your children full of joy, full of peace? He will never leave nor forsake you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He hems you in. His thoughts about you are too numerous to count. He knows when you lie down. He knows when you get up. If that's not a helicopter parent, I don't know what is. You are the apple of his eye. You are his treasure. Approach him with confidence. Ask for what you need. Ask for what you want. Quit being so stinking hard on yourself. I don't know how many times I talk to people, they're harder on themselves than what their dearest daddy is on them. Quit shaming yourself, quit belittling yourself. I'm telling you, this is not from God. God is for you, he is not against you. Be strong, be courageous. Live lightly. 
For if you're connected to Christ through faith, you truly have the world's greatest dad. Are you connected to Christ through faith? Is God your father? Do you have the best dad in the whole wide world forgiving you, providing for you, teaching you, guiding you, blessing you, and transforming you? Let's pray. God, our Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our life as things are done in heaven. Give us our daily bread today, God. So many people in this room have so many different needs today. We come to you as our Father, asking for those needs to be met. Supply our needs. Lord, help us to forgive the way that we have been forgiven by you. No doubt there are people in this room that have unforgiveness in their hearts, and it is eating them up. Lord, empower them with your kingdom power to take steps towards forgiveness. Lord, in you, we find the desires you have created us with met. May we not be duped into thinking that there is living water anywhere else. They're all a mirage in the desert. That's that's what it is. Lord, we love you. May this realization that you are our dearest dad wash over us afresh. May we live so boldly and confidently because we not only know this truth, but we're experiencing it. Give us an experience of your good fatherly touch. Lord, protect us from the evil one who loves to get us to to think and and tempt us to it tempts us to think in distorted ways about you. May we think about you rightly. May we know you correctly, for it's the only way we will know ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.